Today's reading will be taken from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. If you are using the Black Pill Bible, it can be found on page 723. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greetings this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How would this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing. It's impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. How many times have you prayed for the Lord to just give you a sign? Has anybody prayed that? Any, anybody besides me more times than I can count? God, would you just show me what you want me to do? I mean, could you maybe like a billboard, um, you know, that you could put along the side of the highway, maybe send me an email? I mean, just give me some kind of sign so I know exactly what it is you want me to do. All of us wrestle with that. We, we long for clarity. But what we need to ask, even in those moments when we're desperately seeking, Lord, what do you desire? We need to first look and see how we've responded to what he's already shown us. The scriptures that we've heard read today were filled with signs. God is a God who reveals himself to us. He's given us his word in order for us to know his character, to know his purpose, to know his plan, to know how we can relate to him. And he reveals himself to us and he gives us his word, he gives us his church, he gives us other believers, and he gives us, yes, signs to help us know what his will is so that we can follow him. In the scripture reading that Eunice just um, read for us, there is the fulfillment of one of the most important signs in all of the scripture, that a virgin would give birth to a child and the child would be called the Son of God. 
Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to go back and we're going to look at where that sign comes from. And so if you have your Bibles, where I want to start is actually in the book of Isaiah. And um, I encourage you to, to turn there, if, uh, either in your Bible, in the Pew Bible, or on your phone. We'll also have it up on the screen. But here's, here's something I want to encourage you always to do. It's always good to be looking at the word because what you see, what you read from the word is going to be more important than anything I say. So I'm going to give you permission right now. Um, If you start reading and God starts getting you interested in what you're reading and you don't listen to the rest of the sermon, that's okay. Now, if you're reading CNN or BBC, that's a different story. But if you're reading the scripture, it's all good, okay? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7. Um. Verse 1 says this, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jothan, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So here's the setting. All these nations have come around the people of Israel, and they're waging war. The city is surrounded. Verse 2. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, who was the king, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet, go and meet Ahaz, the king, you and Shirajashab, your son, at the end of the conduit, that's a waterway, of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So he, God tells the prophet where to go. He, knows, he tells him where to meet King Ahaz. And here's what he says. And say to him, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. So the message that Isaiah brings, first of all, to Ahaz is don't be afraid. I'm with you. You don't, you don't need to be worried. I know there are armies camped out you, but they're just a lot of noise because I'm more powerful than the armies. That's the message God's sending to Isaiah, but, or through Isaiah to King Ahaz. But Ahaz was not really a believer. He didn't trust the Lord. He was ruling because he was part of the lineage of, um, from the line of David, but he really didn't have a trust in God. He was a fearful and a faithless king. In truth, in many ways, Ahaz often represents us. We believe a little, but we don't believe very much. And when God speaks to us, we have a hard time truly listening to what he's already told us. God was speaking in the midst of the circumstances But Ahaz wasn't ready to listen. And then comes the prophecy of the sign. Look what it says, beginning in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, that's the dwelling place of the grave, okay? So as deep as the grave or as high as heaven. What an invitation, I mean, can you imagine God speaking to you and saying, you can ask me for any sign you want from, from, from the grave all the way to heaven. You can ask me anything and I'll do it. 
How many of us would go, yes, okay, here's what I want to know, God, and the, the challenge would be, you know, making a relatively short list, right, and, and coming up with the sign. God says to Ahaz, ask me for a sign, anything you want, from the depths of hell to the heights of the heavens, just ask. But what does Ahaz do? Does he even have enough faith to ask? Because he hasn't believed what God's already told him, he refuses to even ask for the sign. Look at verse 12. But Ahaz said to him, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds like he's saying something really good, but God knows his heart. He is putting the Lord to the test because he doesn't believe his invitation. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you must weary my God also? That's how the Lord responds to him. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. God was willing to give Ahaz a sign that dealt with the specific circumstances that he was dealing with in facing these armies. But because he didn't have enough faith to to trust what God had already told him, and he didn't have enough faith to obey God's invitation to ask for a sign, God says instead, I will give you a sign of something far more important, a sign that is going to indicate when I will dwell on earth, when I will send forth my son. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called God with us, the Son of God, Emmanuel. You see, God wants to reveal himself to us. That's one of the things I hope that you take away today. He is speaking. He's given us his word. He's speaking into your heart. And when you go to him in prayer and you seek him, he will guide you and direct him when you trust him with all that you are. Unfortunately, Ahaz wasn't willing to listen. Too many times I have to confess I've been just like him. I've not listened to what God has already told me and what he has already revealed to me. And oftentimes that's what limits me from seeing what else God wants to reveal. The scripture is filled with over 300 prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus Christ and his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. There, and if you want the list of those, I'm happy to send them to you, where you can trace what was prophesied hundreds of years before and see how it was perfectly fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God is revealing himself. He's given us many, many signs. What he asks us to do is to have enough faith to not only trust him, but to obey him. The virgin birth is perhaps the greatest of all prophecies about God's plan to rescue us. And it was given to someone who didn't even want to hear it. But God wanted to communicate it. What that should tell you is that God is far more interested in connecting with you than you are in listening to him. Now, if you can hold on to that truth, it will help you a lot. Because it'll help you get over fear and over doubt when you begin to believe that God really is interested in communicating with us. He wanted to make sure that all the world knew about this sign, 
even though the king of Israel wasn't willing to listen. Well, the virgin birth um, proclaims two incredibly important things about Jesus Christ. The virgin birth, first of all, proclaims that Jesus is fully God, his divinity. It was, when we read through the account, as we did, the Holy Spirit overshadows him, um, and he um, plants him inside of Mary's womb and brings forth a child from a virgin, one who'd never had any sexual intimacy or intercourse at all. She was perfect and pure. And the scripture reveals until after um, the birth of Jesus, Joseph did not know her. So God did a miracle that showed that only God could do this. It shows that this, the, the, the one in her womb, the child, was, was fully God, but also was fully human. He was one who could relate to us and connect us with who God is. He came to show us the Father. And the virgin birth proves and proclaims Jesus' full divinity and his humanity. And the virgin birth also is the proclamation that God has now come to dwell with us, Emmanuel. But this sign didn't begin in Isaiah. It goes farther back. From the very beginning, God was speaking about this specific sign that he would use to bring about his plan of rescuing you and I and bringing us back into a relationship with God. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Because this is where this sign began. Let me read it to you in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. This is after uh, the creation event and after Adam and Eve have been created and then they've chosen to rebel against God and disobey the one and only command he gave them they chose to not do. They broke it. They disobeyed. He only said, there's just one thing I don't want you to do. Anything else is all yours. And they broke it. Here's what happened. Genesis 3, verse 14. Um, we, we remember in the context there that Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, which was uh, a personification of Satan, of the enemy. And he had tempted Eve and tempted Adam in order to take the fruit that had been forbidden and, um, and he used the scripture and he twisted it. He used lies and convinced them to disobey the Lord. Here's how the Lord responds. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Those words there are talking specifically about the offspring that would come from Eve, from a woman. Now, when you read this in the original language, it, the word is actually translated, better translated, seed. And if we understand basic biology, we understand that the seed in the process of reproduction comes from men. But the prophecy says that the seed will be of a woman, not of a man. He's pointing towards the virgin birth. He's pointing to the fact that one day he will do a miracle and bring forth a savior who is born of a virgin. There's a very popular drawing 
that, uh, it's a beautiful drawing. It's up on the screen. It's called Mary Consoles Eve. And, and it was a, a drawing done by Sister Grace Remington of the Sisters of Missis, Mississippi Abbey in Dubuque, Dubuque, Dubuque Iowa. And it's a beautiful drawing. When you, when you look at that, you, you see Mary who's there, who's expecting, and she's comforting Eve. And Eve, you know, is still holding the fruit, and, and she's covered by her hair because of the, she's covering the nakedness that represents her shame. But there's one aspect of the, of the drawing that could be misunderstood and could be a little bit confusing. There's probably not a better way to draw it, but when you look down at it, you see the serpent there wrapped around Eve's leg, and then... Mary is stepping on its head. Well, that's not what the scripture just said. It wasn't Mary that crushed the head of, of the serpent. It was her offspring. It was the one who would be pictured in this drawing in the womb, Jesus. He came to defeat the work of Satan. But it's a beautiful drawing that helps us remember this is part of God's plan from the very beginning that he would bring forth from a virgin a perfect son, his son, his name is Jesus. The scripture was very specific to tell us that it's the seed, it's the offspring that will crush Satan's head. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the darkness of sin had descended upon the earth. Adam surrendered his rule over the earth to the evil one and scripture calls Satan the serpent, the prince of the power of the air. Jesus himself referred to him as the ruler of this world. And so he has a limited um, authority that he's able to exercise in our world, which is why we see so much division and chaos and hurt and hatred and evil. It's the result of sin and it's the workings also of Satan. But John reminded his readers that Whereas the whole world remains under Satan's grasp, Jesus came to defeat him, to crush his head. And the virgin birth proves that Jesus is the prophesied seed of a woman, and he is the one who is coming to defeat the works of the enemy. Well, let's look specifically for just a moment now back in in Luke at this proclamation of the angel Gabriel that he gives to Mary Um, that we read earlier in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Well, the first part of that that you need to know, to, to recognize, is that Nazareth, you can look all the way through this, this book and through all the commentaries on this book. In the Old Testament, Nazareth is never mentioned. It's not, written, it's not mentioned by the historians in Josephus. In fact, there was no mention of Nazareth ever found or ever known until in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found a mention in a, 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 a separate document of, of commentary that talked about Nazareth. It was a place that nobody knew because nobody cared about it. It was in the absolute middle of nowhere. Um, if I was saying it, you know, based on where I've lived, I would say it was in the middle of Kansas. And if you're from Kansas, you have my deep apology, but it's the middle of nowhere. I mean, it just is, okay? That's what Nazareth was. And so God sends to a no place on the earth 
a message to a person that no one else would have recognized. A young girl who's maybe 14 years of age who hadn't accomplished anything, who wasn't worthy of anything. She was just simple and humble and God loved her. Just like you and me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and and tried to discern what sort of greeting this would mean. Mary's first response was, Why are you speaking to me? And that's exactly the right response because you see in that the humility of Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't a family name for Joseph or for Mary, so it was very specific. And Jesus means God is salvation. In fact, it means God is our salvation. His name is very specific. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. And Jesus was absolutely sinless all of his life, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, he gives, God not only gives her that sign, he gives her another sign by telling her about her cousin Elizabeth who's been in hiding that she's expecting. Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her from who who was barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you're gonna remember any phrase from what we said today, remember that phrase because that is always the right response to give to God. When he does speak to you, when he does reveal himself to you, when he calls you to obey him, to trust him, our answer should be, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's absolutely the right response. And that's one of the reasons why Mary is recognized as such an incredible woman of faith. Mary believed in God's power. She wondered about how the mechanics of all of it would happen, but she wasn't doubting God's word. She was just trying to figure out how it was all gonna work. She gave herself then in deep submission, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. If Christ is in us, if we've trusted him so that we are his children, then Mary's heart should be our model for discipleship as well. We should approach the Lord as she did, humbly, with an ongoing poverty of spirit that is not only open to God's grace, but longs for it deeply. 
we must also intentionally nurture a reflective heart because one of the things you see is she's meditating on what's being told to her. She's thinking about it and processing it. She's just not letting it go into one ear and out the other. She's taking it into her heart in God's word. And then she believes and she submits herself completely to the Lord and says, whatever you desire, that I will do. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. There's even more to the story. There's more than what Mary did. There's the power of what happened because of the virgin birth. Because of the virgin birth, Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. So let's look at the power of the virgin birth for a few moments here. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, we have this promise. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, this promise is incredible because remember, the prophecy back in Genesis was that the offspring of of Eve, Eve, the offspring of a woman, the one who would be virgin born, would crush Satan's head. And here in this passage, it's telling us that Satan will actually be crushed underneath the feet of the church, of those who trust in Jesus Christ. Because we are now his body, he is calling you and I to be his hands, his feet, in fulfilling his purpose on the earth, to defeat the works of Satan. And the way that we do that is through loving one another, through loving others, through faithfully obeying God's word, through forgiving, and through being instruments that carry forth the good news of God's peace and hope. He will crush the enemy. Jesus came to crush Satan's head and his rule. 1 John 3, 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to break them all down, to to reverse what happened in the curse. Now, we understand that Satan is a murderer. He is, he is a liar. That's what the scripture tells us. Jesus himself says this in John 8, 44. He says to, to the religious people who are, um, who are self-righteous, he says this, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is a murderer. He kills life. But on the other hand, Jesus came to give life and to give it more abundantly. We are to live out in his victory. We don't need to be fearful of the enemy. We need to be confident in the God who has already proven himself. The ultimate proof that Jesus is victorious is his resurrection from the grave. The evidence that points to that, when you study it, when you look at the eyewitnesses' account, when you look at the historical evidence, you discover that it is more provable than almost anything in history that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. He's proven that he is the one who gives 
life in his resurrection. So he came to destroy the works of Satan and to shine light into the darkness. Satan is a liar who seeks to hide the light. He seeks to deceive people. But Jesus came to shine his light on us and then he calls you and I to be the light of the world that shines forth his love, his truth, his grace into the lives of those around us. Therefore, we need to see ourselves as Jesus' hands and feet in carrying out his work here on earth. That's part of what Christmas is all about. And our attitude towards those that do not yet know Jesus should not be one of judgment. It should be instead seeing them as one who's been captured by the enemy in need of rescue, and Jesus came to rescue them just like he rescued us. We should approach them with hearts of understanding, with compassion, with love. Because they don't know yet the victory and the life and the salvation that is found when you put your trust in Jesus. That's why Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you in John 13, 34, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Understand that love defeats betrayal. Love defeats deceit. This is why God calls us as followers of him to forgive others. It is an exercise of his victory because it recognizes that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us need forgiveness. That's why we're commissioned in Ephesians 4 to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Every time we choose to love, especially when we're offended, especially when we're hurt and and, and you forgive that person, you proclaim the victory of Christ over Satan. By forgiving, we are more like God and showing his goodness, his greatness, and his power than at perhaps any other time in our life. When we forgive, we choose to love and to trust the Lord with all the circumstances and to trust him to carry the victory of Christ in us and through us. And therefore, we defeat the power of the enemy who seeks to divide and cause hate. Jesus' virgin birth was in part the sign and the power that he came to destroy the works of the devil and to set men and women free. He came to do, excuse me, he came to undo what sin had done to us. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not about the presents or the decorations. It's about a celebration of freedom and life that we have in Christ. So how do we respond? How should we respond to the sign that Jesus was born of a virgin and came to defeat the works of the enemy? Well, I think we need to look briefly in closing at how Mary responded. What we are to do is to worship while waiting for the return of the king. What is so amazing to me is that what Mary believed in response to the angel's announcement 
Remember, it, it said in the, in the scripture that she pondered these things in her heart. That means that she really began to think about it. She realized when she said, Lord, may it be unto me as you have said, she would have recognized, I'm going to face ridicule. I'm going to face shame. People are going to be talking about me. The scriptures reveal, especially in the gospel of John, that repeatedly the religious leaders of Jesus' day accused him of being illegitimate. If they remembered when Jesus was 30 years of old that there were some questions surrounding his birth, that means that all that time, especially the people that knew the story intimately that were in Nazareth and in Bethlehem, they would have been whispering about Mary over and over again. Here's a faithful, humble servant who recognizes she's going to be shamed People are going to speak ill of her. They're going to gossip about her. They're going to say all kinds of horrible things about her. And what does she say? Lord, your will be done, not mine, even if it costs me. And later it was revealed to her that a sword would pierce her heart, that she would have this incredible privilege of of caring for the Son of God, There would have been times when she would have seen maybe a glimpse of herself and her family in the physical resemblance of of Jesus because from a flesh standpoint, from a human standpoint, he's her descendant. But there would have been so many other times when she would have seen the divine DNA and imprint upon his life. And she witnessed him sacrifice himself out of love. On a cross, Mary responded humbly with worship, and she wrote what is the first Christmas song that is often referred to as the Magnificat, and I want to end with that, and then we're going to sing it here in just a few minutes. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is the song of Mary's praise. Here's how she responded. After she had pondered these things in her heart, after she said, Lord, may it be done unto me as you will, as you have written in your word, as you have declared, I will obey. Here's how she responds. She begins in verse 46 by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She worships. And I love this phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's what we're called to do. We are called, ultimately, your purpose and my purpose in life is to show the greatness of God. That's what it means to magnify him. It's it's not to make him bigger because he's already enormous. He's omnipresent. Um, There are three different kinds of magnification. There's self-magnification where you can look in a mirror and it makes things bigger and you see all your flaws. There's the magnification that comes from from a microscope or a magnifying glass that takes things that are small and makes them look bigger than they are. And then there's the magnification of a telescope. Think about the images that we see coming from the Hubble telescope or from some of the the spacecraft that have, have gone out into the heavens. They take things that are enormous and they bring them closer. That's what we are to do. We are to take the enormity, the greatness, 
the bigness of God and bring it closer so that others can see who he is because of what he has done. That's how we magnify him. You see, true worship makes more of God and less of me. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's what we're called to do. Second, we see in Mary's song that true worship is three, has three dimensions to it. There's a height, a depth, and a width to her worship. Mary praised God for his power. She said, he who is mighty has done a great thing. She recognized that nothing was impossible for God. If God could make her who was pure, pregnant, he could do anything. She believed God. His power was great. He who is mighty has done a great thing. Secondly, there was a depth to her worship. She worshiped God for his character. That's why she says, holy is his name. She recognizes that God is absolutely pure and she is humble before him. And then there's the width of her worship. She exalted God for her love. His mercy is for those who fear him, she sings. That's what we are to do as well to trust in his power, to recognize the deepest part of who we are, the holiness of who God is, and then to reach out and recognize that his mercy is for all who fear him. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 3, for this reason I bow on my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints and here I'm finally getting to the point what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He prays the same thing that Mary sings, that we will know that. Thirdly, true worship involves all that we are. I love how she phrases it, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Are you worshiping the Lord with all that you are? Not just with the things that you say, but the innermost part of your being. Fourthly, true worship expresses what God has done and gives him all the credit. Verse 51, she continues in her song and she says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Mary recognizes that God has done it all. All good things, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights above. And finally, True worship involves a community of believers that we join with. She concludes her song in verse 54 and 55 by saying, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. 
Mary sees herself as part of God's great story and a full member of the people of God. She recognizes that she is directly related to the generations of past faith, not because of her bloodline, but because of her faith. And likewise, she is related to the future generations of those who will believe in Jesus Christ. Worship is about a community as well. That's why we gather together to sing praises, to pray together, to encourage one another. We are to worship in spirit and in truth, and we need to do it together as a community. So we're going to do that. He who is mighty is, is a, a modern version of Mary's song. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite the band to come up, and let's sing this from our hearts and from our spirits as an expression of worship to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of Christmas. Thank you for the signs of Christmas that prove who you are. Lord, help us now to respond in a right way to what you've revealed to us. Would you speak into each and every person's heart and mind right here today? Remind them that you love them. Remind them that you are holy and they must respond to you in a humble way. Remind them of the things that, that you have already shown them. And Lord, would you give us the faith? Would you give us the courage to follow you, to trust you, and to serve as your hands and feet in this world? To share your love, your hope, and your truth with those around us. You who are mighty has done a great thing. Holy is your name. We come before you now in worship. In Jesus' name we pray.